I'm Dino Busalaki, the Chief Technology Officer and OT Guy at Delta Technology. Hi, I'm Jim, the COO and IT Guy. And I'm Craig Duckworth, President and CEO. You're listening to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Show. In each episode, we bring you the inside scoop on the world of industrial cybersecurity. We talk about everything you don't know. That you should know. So plug in and power up. The show's about to get started. Hi, my name is Dino Pusilaki, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Velta Technology, and I'm the OT guy. I'm Jim Cook, the COO here at Velta Technology, and I'm the IT guy, or formerly known as the IT guy. And welcome to the next episode of our podcast, where today we'll be talking about, uh, what are we talking about today, Dino? Today we're going to talk about the differences between IT and OT. You'll hear a lot of the conversations around ITOT convergence. What we're really talking about here is how do we get these two groups better aligned and what works and what we haven't seen work between these two groups if they're not on the same page determining how they're going to secure and protect their industrial control system environment. Yeah, there's a lot out there on that. I mean, you can read about it, you can write about it. It's this OT convergence. But over the next few minutes, I think we'll take it from the approach for uh, Dino's actually been OT. His career was OT. And for those of you that may not know us, Dino and I actually worked together decades ago, right? We kind of for a manufacturer. Together. Yeah, for a manufacturer. And I went off onto the IT career path, and Dino went off on the OT career path. And a few years back when he started his company up, we got back together, and he told me about it. And I said, what? What, what are you talking about? What, what's OT cybersecurity? Well, from a very high level, I don't remember who said it, but it wasn't me, is that IT's job is to help you manage your business. That's one of their primary roles, right, to help you manage your business. OT defines the whole reason why you're in business, right? They're the reasons why you generate revenue and make the goods that you make. And they're very different. One's on the revenue generating side, the other one's on the expense side. And so how do you get two groups to work together that don't necessarily understand each other's roles and responsibilities? Even though they're using similar technologies, networking equipment, applications, databases, applications development, a whole series of technologies that are a lot of commonalities between them, but in the hands of different folks with different priorities, different agendas, different resources, different budgets, et cetera. I always say, and I've told you this story a hundred times, but it's probably worth repeating. Back in the day, probably a decade or more ago, I went out to a floor, the concrete floor, where the pushing goods, making goods. So what's in that big box over there. And they opened it up for me. And I looked inside at that stuff. And I said, close that box up. I have enough headaches. And what people don't realize is that over the past few decades, we have as an industry from business and technology and OT or IT, however you want to call it, we purposely separated them. We purposely said, these are two different entities within an organization, and we're going to keep them separate. And it's worked so far, so why isn't it working now? Well, you have the, the connected physical systems, the kinetic machinery on your plant floor, which is one of the reasons why they kept them separate was for safety. They didn't want these machines to be disrupted or interrupted by outside interference. 
that's the way that they these machines were designed and they were built. They were insecure by design. There's no multi-factor authentication out there on these machines, and there's no endpoint protection on them, on, on HMIs that are out there running a Windows operating system, controlling critical processes on the plant floor. That's the world in which we live. But over the last couple of decades with Industry 4.0 and digital transformation, the plant floor data was becoming very valuable to the business to help them with decision making and cost cutting and better uh, forecasting and maybe making more quality products. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why they wanted to get to that data on the plant floor. So those machines became. So it's digital transformation, Industry 4.0 and all that stuff that we hear about that's pushing the limits, but are pushing the issue. So let's go back to one of the things you said, because I always found it interesting, too, is and we see it all the time. You and I see it all the time. We go out to the clients and then if we're talking to the IT side, they say, well, those guys out there, they just want to update anything. So the life cycle piece is interesting because from an IT side, it got to the point where it's like, if it's more than five years old, get it out of here. If it hasn't been updated in six months, update it. You got PCs, you're cycling you know, anywhere from three to seven years. A seven-year-old PC, people would throw out, well, heck, you know, look at phones. People are throwing away phones after two years when the next iPhone version comes out. But even for an organization, they're keeping PCs for a couple of years. That's not the case in OT. For me, that was like, holy smokes, I hadn't even thought about that. That equipment's out there for a whole lot longer, isn't it? Yeah, and never patched or rarely patched. I mean, you think about a piece of IT equipment that you've had for five years. Think how many patches that you've taken in the course of five years, right? Every Tuesday with Microsoft is Patch Tuesday. Every quarter, there were major releases coming out on the software for either feature improvements or fixing bugs. In order to do that, you have to take downtime. Nobody cares if somebody's just- On the OT side, right? Yeah, on the OT side. On the IT side, if you got to spend 10, 15, 30 minutes waiting for your machine to boot to get the patches on, they're so go find something else to do. But on the plant floor, that's idle. That's machines not making money. That's product that's not being made. You're paying salaries for operators to be there. You got trucks waiting. You've got assets. You got resources. You got utilities. All these things that you're consuming and you're not making any goods because you're taking patches. At the same time, you've bought this equipment from an OEM and their warranty and support will lock you in and not let you change it. Because if you modify that stuff and things break, then they're not going to support you. They'll want to take you back to where you should be, the way they delivered it to you. So that's one of the challenges. That's a big problem. One of the biggest ones that I always see is the OEMs and system integrators who design and build these machine centers that people buy to, let's say, put in a packaging line to put liquid in a bottle. They're not going to sit there and constantly do their due diligence to put in the patches to fix vulnerabilities and exposures related to that software that you have. Because it's time and energy and money for them, too. So they choose to freeze it in time and leave it alone. And they would just assume you not connect it to the right. enterprise. And this is the ITOT. And, and again, like I said, I'm, and you know me, I'm formerly an IT guy. Although it's like I'm an ex-smoker, though. I'm OT now, I'm the OT cybersecurity. But I get it from the IT guy side. But that's where the IT guys have frustration. And we'll talk to them. They're like, well, those guys won't update it. And then on the OT side going... These knuckleheads keep telling me to update it. Do they not get it? Then suddenly that chasm is just farther and farther apart, right? If you don't understand why I can't update, you don't even need to be out here even telling me what to do because you can't handle it, right? There's a history too. And what I've experienced is sometimes you get into these polarizing relationships between IT and OT at these manufacturers. And when they don't get along is because IT hurt them. 
And what I mean by that is they push patches out there that required them to uninstall and reinstall them. They could have taken them hours or days to do. Or some of the projects that they've done have been very disruptive, whether it's putting in messing with the network or putting in firewalls and shutting down pieces of the plant, right? So there's always been a lot of finger pointing going back and forth between those two. And if you're an IT person and you've dealt with that, it's it's like trying to pick up a porcupine. No matter where where you try to pick it up, you're going to get stuck. So what do they do? They avoid picking up the porcupine <laughs> and just leave it alone. But security changed, man. You know, but security's changing this dynamic, just like safety has changed the dynamic on the plant floor. Safety's job one. Safety systems have been built. Today, if you've got robots out on your plant floor, you've put gates and fences around them so people just can't accidentally walk into the zone of a robot that's in there swinging around and picking up boxes so it doesn't knock your block off. So safety, same thing with cybersecurity. We're going to have to get to that same stage. And the OT is going to have to mature some and learn what it takes to govern and develop policies and leverage these technologies that are available to them to secure that plant floor control system environment. Right. Let's talk about another thing that I find interesting, and that's, I don't know if I'd call them excuses. Maybe they're more misunderstandings of what's out there. And and this is something we commonly hear, you know, well, we're okay. We haven't looked at it because we're air gapped, which we all know 99% of the time you're not air gap. They'll do the air gap, air gap with air quotes. Well, air gap with air quotes isn't real. But the other one, and I think from the IT side, and again, this is how I used to do it. Well, you know what? We got a firewall out there and they stay to themselves on the other side of the firewall. But we know, you and I know, that's not the answer. That's not the end-all, be-all. It's, I mean, it's a good step, but it's not the end-all, be-all. You can't just say, all right, well, they're, they're on the plant floor. We got them separated by firewall, so everything's good. Right. It's not all good. No, it's not, you know, because you can't, one, you can't determine if the firewall is really doing its job all the time because it changes. And at the same time, there's a lot of activity inside that plant of people coming and going, whether it's people coming in with the technology that they're using to manage and maintain and support that environment or new machine centers that are coming in that might have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, cellular built into them, what have you. There's all kinds of activity within that environment. It's not a static environment. Like I've heard a lot of executives from the other side of the fence say that as the plant floor is a very static environment. Uh, no, it's not. It's dynamic. It changes daily, hourly, you know, right. by right. the minute. Well, well, you said something there, right? Which, again, these are things, and I'm bringing them up because from an IT side, is, and now we've been working together for years on this, that I find amazing when you start thinking about what's going on and the way engineers and people are coming in and out, they're plugging in below your network. Well, that can go up. It can get out and goes, and it's going to go up into your enterprise network. It's kind of like the old horror film. We've traced the call and it's coming from inside your house, it's inside the house, and it's calling through. But an IT group would probably go, Whoa, no, we never let anyone plug into our network. Really? They're doing it all the time, every right. day down there, right? They're not only plugging it in with their own laptop, but they might be sitting there with their phone, which is a hot spot connected right. to the internet right. at right. the same time, right? Because they're pulling right. stuff off the internet yeah. that they need from the home office or maybe from the vendor side, from maybe Rockwell site, trying to get an advisory bulletin or some program or whatever from that side of the house. So that happens regularly. So your firewall at that point in time is useless. That's a good point. You say the firewall and everybody's, well, the firewall's there. And I said, okay, there's two things. One, I'm pretty sure, and I haven't done the research on this, 
but I'm pretty sure 99.9% of the corporate IT breaches where they were compromised and ransomware, wherever it is. And I, again, I haven't done the research. Somebody can contest this, but I'm pretty sure 100% of them had firewalls, right? So I can't imagine the, the stuff that we've seen in the news, nobody having a firewall. That's one. But then the other, the follow on is, well, is that when you're done on the IT side? So it's not an end all be all. I mean, every corporate, they have a firewall. And then what else do they have behind it? Well, IT could probably rattle off a number of things through logging and monitoring and antivirus and zero trust and update patching and vulnerability management. And then you go, OT, okay, what do you have after your firewall? And they'll all look at each other and go, what are you talking about? We're busy getting stuff out the door. The firewall is an interesting dynamic in itself where it's placed in there because if OT doesn't trust IT and IT doesn't trust OT, then why doesn't OT have their own firewall also? So if IT's got one and you don't trust me, then why don't I put my own in because I don't trust you? And we've seen that, right? And if you look at certain models, and I'm talking about networking frameworks, architectures for the plant floor, they will show that IDMZ with two firewalls. One up for the enterprise and one for the OT. Now, you can argue who owns the OT firewall all day, but at the end of the day, there should be two in that model. And not a lot of organizations practice that. And at at each facility, right? At right. each facility. facility. That's correct. You know, right. I was working at a job at an automotive plant that was retooling up. And what I found it was interesting is we met with the networking guy who had his project all lined out to do the network for this entire facility. And he was proud of it. And he did a really good job. I mean, he was doing everything, right? He was doing the entire campus network. He was doing the phone system. He's putting video conferencing networks for that entire plant. And when we started, when we were brought in, I was working for an automation technology vendor at the time to talk about the control system network. And what I found that was interesting is the network guy, he was only focused on the first three layers of the OSI model up to TCP IP because he thought that the control system networks were a lot like his business system networks. And then I got into the specifics about because he was putting in a phone system. And I said, well, let's talk about the VoIP network that you're building. I said, that's application layer traffic. We're talking about SIP traffic, session, right. SIP. Which and is said, an IT, not... And so CIP, the design right. of that, though, is requiring you to pick certain technologies and certain operating systems and the endpoints to be able to use a phone system on the same data network as you have all the computers on. I said the plant floor is no different. You got to think all the way up through the industrial protocol levels, some of which are proprietary. So if you look at Rockwell SIP, for example, which is a control Internet protocol SIP, it requires a certain level of design for that. So you have to treat it the same way. He wasn't looking at it that way. He wasn't looking at all seven layers of the OSI model. He was just looking at the first three. And that's where I think a lot of IT groups fail to recognize that the industrial side requires that level of scrutiny and design detail when you're building out a control system environment network and applications as you are for some of your business systems. Yeah, and that brings up two good points. And Tina, these were realizations from the IT side, from my experiences. One was how many different levels of networks in one facility exist. So we were out at, you know, one of our partners looking at the panel build and going through the engineering document, you know, that's going to control these automation machinery. And he had four different networks all stacked up built into the system that they're plugging into the company's network. Well, most IT groups don't even realize that. They might have six different levels of IP schema in there for all they know. They probably have duplicate IP schema. They don't know that. They don't see it. They're not into it. So that, that was a realization, number one. And the other realization from an IT standpoint to OT 
for me was, and we're still explaining it, and you'll hear me when I say this, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's what we're preaching every time we're talking to a client, that as much as IT has globalized and standardized all its tool sets, and I don't care how big you are, you got multi-sites, that's not the case when you get down to a plant. And even if that plant is making the same exact thing, they could be making the same exact product, that plant is different. Because we always say, look, the only way it could be exactly the same is if you built it at the same time, under the same specs, <laughs> with the same budget, then maybe that plant's similar. But even if it's making the same things, 99% of the time it was built at a different time, it's got different physical constraints, it's built with different equipment, different versions, it has different people running it. So the IT is sitting here going, well, this is our global standard, this is our network, this is the way that we're going to manage everything. And the plants are basically the kingdoms below. They're the asset owner. Yeah, because they're the asset owner and they're four walls. That's what they're focused with. They're not focused with the corporate or global standards other than maybe producing the product itself, but not with their network and not with their technologies. It's still about getting that plant running. And so so it kind of throws a monkey wrench when IT goes, no, well, here's our standard. Well, if you're going to use it in plant A, it's this. If you're going to use it in plant B, it's this. You know, and they, C they can't do it at all. C can't plant, do anything right. that you want. To, you know, they just they don't have what you need to be able to provide that level of governance. And it really boils down to that governance. And I, and that's where a lot of the executives on the C-suite side, you know, CEOs and CFOs and other leadership, they just assume that IT has that asset owner responsibility from a security standpoint, and they just don't. They just flat don't. And IT is not chasing to get it because they don't understand it. Again, back to my porcupine analogy, it's difficult and it's dangerous. And they know that they have very little room to be able to manipulate or manage any of it. And so they just tend to stay away. Right. Yeah. That's like my story. I closed that. I have enough headaches. I'm not picking that porcupine up. And you mentioned the CFO, which is great, man. I I love telling this other CFO story. It's a buddy of mine's a CFO for multi-site plant. And a few years back when I was talking to him about it, his comments, and this gets to the panels and, you know, I'm explaining the panels and all the unique technologies and, you know, drives and DLCs and HMIs, you know, everything and how that works. And he looks at me, he goes, when you say panels that have all this stuff in it, are you talking about those big green boxes that look like it got blinking lights like a Christmas tree? And I said, you mean on your floor? He goes, yeah, yeah, up there on a concrete floor next to my machines. I said, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And he said, and you're telling me the stuff inside those boxes, they've got programs and they're like computers Networks. in there. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And he said, and you're telling me that that box with the blinking lights in the green box with the blinking lights is then attached to the internet. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And he said, oh my God, I must have 50 or 60 of those at each of my plants. And he goes, we haven't even asked the question. We haven't even asked the question. And it was a realization. I mean, it just gets to that whole thought where, well, it's an afterthought. I thought the engineers are handling it. And IT's like, well, we put a firewall up. I mean, that was my engineers are handling it. No, that's not in their purview. So we got to figure out a way. And one is just to understand the different perspectives that we go in there and why it's different. We started out talking about the OT and the IT. Those executives, like you said, CEOs and CFOs have to start coming to that realization because those guys have charges and they're doing their work. And we've talked about why it's separate, all the things that make it separate. But 
who within that organization is going to bring it together? Are you going to have an IT champion? Do you have an OT champion? Or are you going to have an executive that says, uh, hello, guys, knock, knock, uh, get together and figure this stuff out? Because this sounds kind of wonky to me if we're not doing anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I was just in a meeting last week with a group of executives, the presidents of a dozen different companies, and OT was a new term for them. And I was like showing pictures of those panels opened up, showing those drives and those PLCs and those network switches and those HMIs that are driving all those connected physical systems in their plant. And so this is the stuff we're talking about, this stuff right here, right? Because then they're staring right at it because I've been in a lot of meetings when you show that to the IT leadership and they're like, oh, yeah, that's not our stuff. <laughs> right, right. Close the door. We got enough headaches. <laughs> right. And they'll, they'll flat out tell you that. So the question is, how do you get them to the realization that this stuff is no different than the stuff you got sitting in a rack in your data center? It's got servers and switches and firewalls and applications and databases on it and the roles and responsibilities that IT has to manage and maintain and secure that stuff. Again, are you exercising the same amount of due diligence to secure and protect the plant floor control systems as you are the enterprise? That's the question you as an organization need to ask yourself. And you have to be honest with it. And the OT people need to be in the room and hear that. So IT doesn't just carte blanche, try to check a box and say, yeah, we got to fire at the plant. We're good. No, that's not the answer. Right, That's right. one of the answers. Right, right. There's, you know. Well, you and I have walked plants from the IT side, and we found stuff, and the OT guy goes, yeah, that shouldn't be there. And the IT guys are flipping out, right? They're going, oh, my God. And we're, we're like, this is what we're talking about. This is why you guys need to get together. When I'm trying to boil it down, because it can get overwhelming at times, is one of the what I consider a compelling argument. And I don't know, argument, a position to help someone understand this is go out to the plant floor and you'll see screens. Everybody knows these automation and their screens and they're touching and it's showing things. Mm -hmm. What everybody doesn't realize is those are likely Windows machines. Those are Windows devices that haven't been patched. Probably legacy, probably Windows 7. And there's no antivirus on it. And you go back and you bring it back home and you say, okay, Mr. CFO, CEO, CIO, CISO, VP of engineering, IT, whatever guy at the top and go, would you allow 15 PCs that are Windows 7, never patch them and never put antivirus on your network? And I'll go, of course not. Of course not. And like, why aren't you doing anything then? Because they are. You know, that starts getting them to go, you know, what you talking about, Willis moment? Some would think maybe the easy answer is, why don't you just replace the Windows 7 machine? Right, right. Well, you know what it takes to rewrite and <laughs> recontrol a machine? It could cost right. you millions of dollars, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so that's it chip that easy. Right. It's not that easy. So, But that doesn't mean that there's not things that you can't do. At least right, at a right. minimum, you should have an accurate, up-to-date asset inventory, listing all the vulnerabilities and exposures related to that device. Two, you can start thinking about a defensible architecture, start putting around that stuff monitoring it, and then reviewing your remote access practices to get into that space, which a lot of companies, they don't do that stuff. They don't do any of that stuff. Because if you're an IT guy and you don't know what PLC architectures are primarily used within your manufacturing environment, you got a lot of catching up to do. Because one plant's not going to be like the other plant, especially if you've grown through mergers and acquisitions. So you've got various plants with different technology stuff that's been out there for 20 plus years in many cases. How are you going to get to where you need to be to secure and protect that stuff? So it's a journey. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But you got to start somewhere. 
Yeah, we're going to wrap it up here real quick. But I got one point about what Dino said, you know, hey, you start with the visibility, get the accurate inventory. And this is the ITOT. And from an IT perspective, I always thought engineers, well, of course, engineers got good inventory. Not with this stuff, folks. <laughs> Not with this stuff. They don't. To me, that was an eye opener. Well, the engineers, what their role is keeping that equipment programmed and up and running. But there's operators out there. Maintenance people are swapping out hardware all the time. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they're not keeping track of that. No, they're keeping they track keep of the stuff, out. the raw materials going in and the stuff going out. And is it quality? Are we efficient? And are we doing it safely? That's what they got inventory on. They don't have inventory over every little device that makes the machine go whir. All right, so I'm going to do my little wrap-up, and you do yours. This is sort of my take. We touched on everything. I don't know if we got everything, but we touched on a lot of stuff, the IT and OT. And I think what companies need to understand is it's different. There's a lot of technology. It's different, and they're probably in your organization. They're not working together, but don't be ashamed by that. Everybody's like that. We as an industry, whether you're IT or OT or enterprise, we built it separate. And there was a reason why we did that. But that reason can't stand anymore because now we're bringing it all back together and go, well, we're going to use technology to get efficiencies. Well, hey, great. That's a great idea. But that means all that stuff that we built separate for these reasons that are similar, you can't just jam them together and go, we're good. You got to figure it out. And, you know, whether it's the OT standing up, whether it's the IT standing up, whether it's the executive standing up, it's okay. But at least somebody needs to go, Oh, time out here. Let's let, let's start looking at this the right way. We recognize that we have differences, so let's approach that proactively and start getting better somewhere. Let's start moving forward. Yep. The problem is solvable. Look at it again from a safety perspective. If you compared to safety practices a couple of decades ago compared to safety practices today, they're night and day. We don't have people getting, yes, sure, people still get hurt. Some people die in some of these industrial environments, but the numbers are a lot smaller than it used to be. I saw a picture, I think it was this morning, and they were showing painters in the mid-20s painting the Chrysler building in New York. And think about that for a second. These I guys that are just standing on some platform. Heights, you're not going to get me to do it. <laughs> I know. But compared to what it would look like today right. to right. paint that, compared to right. what they were doing almost 100 years ago, or on the Golden Gate Bridge, but it's the, the painters on the Chrysler building really stuck out to me when I saw that. And these guys just leaning on the pole, hanging out, no tie-offs, no hard hats. They're just got a bucket of paint in his hand and a brush, and he's just walking across the you know, look like a two by six or two by eight, you know, <laughs> running around the top of this skyscraper. So, but again, no more. We don't no do more. that anymore. We we're don't do that anymore. Right. We've all learned. We're smarter than that, right? Same thing with robots that were out there without cages and gates around. That's right. right? The, so, those robots, they're going to take over one of these days. <laughs> right. Right. It is. And it's solvable, but, but they have to get together. I don't think it's solvable individually on either side. You really have to understand each side to go, okay, what's a solvable here? That's what, I mean, I think we've seen, well, if you want to break off and go do this, you better understand the environment that you're working in and make sure you're connected in some way, you know, whether that's organizationally, whether that's by product, whether that's understanding your network and what your rules are. But ultimately, it's different. There's a reason why it's different, but we're going to have to get it together to put some of these solutions in place. Right. Yeah, well, it's something you've always said. You, you got to think globally, but you got to act locally. That's the way you got to look at your manufacturing environments because your 
fleet of plants. No two are the same. There's tribal knowledge out there. There are cultural differences. And you just need to understand that. And so when you start assigning people to help drive this OT cybersecurity message into those plants, you need that local support. Don't think that you're going to drive it down there and they're just going to embrace it, figure it out, because they're the ones that know what those assets are doing every day, all day. The person coming in from corporate who's at a 30,000 foot view looking down can't see into that PLC architecture that's running that press or running those lasers or running that robot. So their view of the one size fits all is not going to cut it. Well, for those of you listening, if you stuck along this far, hopefully you learned something. We try to do the best we can with this little time and appreciate you tuning in. And thanks for being with us and hopefully around for the next one. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Podcast. To stay up to date with our latest episodes, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button now. And if you found this podcast helpful or have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a review or let us know. If you're interested in learning more about Velta technology and how you can get safer sooner, visit veltatech.com. That's B-E-L-T-A tech.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.